Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. Notice in verse 11 it says, And also the ark of God was captured, and the two sons, Eli, the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, died. And this was the worst thing that could have happened to the Jewish people. This was their prized possession, the Ark of the Covenant. And notice this is a fulfillment of the prophecy that we saw in chapter 2. Remember in chapter 2, verse 27 through 36, the, the man of God came to Eli and told him, that his line, the arm, the strength of his line, his specific line, would fail. Hi everyone and welcome to Truth in Christ Radio. Today we learn that the Ark of God was captured, but the God of the Ark was still on the throne in heaven and guiding these circumstances for His glory. Israel thought they could ignore the God of the Ark and find deliverance in the Ark of God. God showed He was greater than the Ark. The priests who were supposed to supervise the Ark were killed in the battle. God promised the two sons of Eli would die on the same day as proof of his ultimate judgment on the house of Eli. Now the proof of judgment came. Now here's Pastor Rob as he concludes this chapter of 1 Samuel. Your hearts there at the battle site, you know, there in Ebenezer, and for them to all to get on their knees and say, Lord, we have sinned a great sin. We have been playing games with you. Lord, forgive us. And he could have wiped out those guys without even them doing anything about it. He did it before. He'll do it in their history later on without them having to lift a finger. God could have done it. He didn't need the ark. They needed the ark. He didn't need it because their trust was misplaced in an object rather than the God of the object. So it says in verse 6, Now when the Philistines heard the noise of the shout, they said, What does the sound of this great shout in the camp of the Hebrews mean? Then they understood that the ark of the Lord, notice, the ark of Jehovah had come into the camp. And so the Philistines were afraid, for they said, God has come into the camp. And they said, Woe to us, for such a thing has never happened before. Isn't it interesting that the enemies of God have a more of a reverence for God than the people of God? That's really what this is. They're like, Oh, this, this God is you know, terrible and awesome. And yet the children of Israel are like yawning and going, you know, and not repenting. There's no fear left in them anymore. You know, fear is a wonderful thing. A reverence. It is good to fear God. And that fear can mean two different things, and you know this. It can be a reverence, and it can be real fear, like you're scared. And I think both of those are good. I think we should fear God in the sense of reverencing him. Because if we don't do that, then we will fear him. We will fear him. If we don't know him, he is to be feared because there's a judge of all the earth. Now, he loves people. 
But I can either fall on the rock and be saved, or the rock can fall on me and I can be destroyed. And most of us, thank God, have fallen on the rock. We've been saved, right? So it's good. Notice in verse 8, Woe to us, who will deliver us from the hand of these mighty gods, lowercase g. Gods, really? Well, the, the Philistines were polytheistic. They worshipped many gods. And so they don't, they don't even know who this god is. But whoever he is, he demands respect because he's done amazing things. They've heard the stories. Actually, they're not stories. They've heard the history. Right? They thought it was the gods, but it was God, Jehovah. Notice, be strong and conduct yourselves like men, you Philistines, that you do not become servants of the Hebrews as they have been to you. Conduct yourselves like men and fight. And so now they're trying to have a pep rally to really encourage themselves. And so the Philistines fought, and Israel was defeated. Notice, and every man fled to his tent. There was a great slaughter. There fell 30,000 footmen foot soldiers. And so this is 30,000 more than the 4,000 that had died earlier. Now you have 34,000 Israelites that have been killed by this perennial enemy of Israel. These Philistines came from the island of Crete. They were a non-Semitic people. They were the enemy of Israel. Like I said, they came from Crete. And they came from Crete, and they went down into the Mediterranean, they came down to Africa, they came down to Egypt. The Egyptians kicked them out of their land, and so they settled up on the coast where you and I know Israel to be, and that's where they stayed. These were non-Semitic people, and the reason they call them non-Semitic is because they didn't come from Shem. Remember Noah, and then Shem, Ham, and Japheth? Anyone who is Semitic, a Semitic people is a line of people that comes specifically from Shem. We know that to be Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Moses, and David, and the 12 tribes of Israel. And uh, those are Semitic peoples. But the people like from Ham, those were the Egyptians and other Arabs, right? The, the Hamites, they called them, Hamitic. But these people were non-Semitic. They didn't come from the line of Shem. And they just happened to be the perennial enemy of Israel. In Genesis 10 in the table of nations, you can see that actually. It says that this is the genealogy of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And then, it's, and then it says the sons of Ham were Cush, Mizraim, Put, and Canaan. And then it says Mizraim in verse 13 says begat Ludim, Emimim, Lahabim, Naphtuhim, Pathrusim, and Kasluhim, from whom came the Philistines and Kaphtorim. These were from the tribe of Ham. They were non-Semitic peoples, and they were the perennial enemy of Israel. And it wasn't until David's ministry that finally he subdued the Philistines once and for all. But now they are a problem, again, because their forefathers didn't do what God had told them to do. Disobedience always yields these things. Whenever we're disobedient, it's always someone else is going to pay, either ourselves or someone else. But notice in verse 11 it says, And also the ark of God was captured. And the two sons, Eli, the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, died. And this was the worst thing that could have happened to the Jewish people. This was their prized possession, the ark of the covenant. 
And notice, this is a fulfillment of the prophecy that we saw in chapter 2. Remember, in chapter 2, verse 27 through 36, the, the man of God came to Eli and told him that his line, the, arm, the strength of his line, his specific line, would fail. And God confirmed it, and he says, And by the way, this is a sign unto you. In one day, both of your sons are going to die. And here they are. They both died. Both of them died. Little did Eli know that he also would die the same day, but that was his decision. He took... He, he actually, when he heard about his sons being dead, we'll, we'll read this later, that he, he fell off the back of the place that he was sitting, and he was 98 years old and pretty heavy, and so, and he couldn't see because he was so old. When he heard about the ark, he just basically committed suicide. He just fell right over. But it wasn't God's judgment. He took that upon himself. The judgment was on his two sons. Eli could have lived, who knows, a few more years, maybe another year, maybe another few months. We don't really know. But that was something he took upon himself. So in verse 12 it says, Then a man of God, a man of Benjamin, actually ran from the... A battle line the same day, and he came to Shiloh with his clothes torn and dirt on his head, which was a sign of grief in those days. Now when he came, there was Eli sitting on a seat by the wayside watching. And you can imagine, he remembered as his sons took the ark of Shiloh and and went out to Ebenezer, Eli is probably just sitting there, barely can see himself because of his age, old and heavy, and he's sitting there by the, the tabernacle in his chair there. And he's watching for the road with whatever he can see because he knows in the back of his heart, you know what, I don't think my sons are coming home from this one. So he's waiting. And finally this young man from Benjamin who had escaped from the front line, he comes and he came to Eli and there he was sitting on a seat by the wayside watching, notice, for his heart trembled for the ark of God. Notice, the ark of God. He, he probably knew that his sons had what was coming to them. His heart really wasn't toward his sons. You'll see that later. He knew that their time was going to come. But the Ark of the Covenant was something that really his heart trembled for. And when the man came into the city and told it, all the city cried out. And then verse 14, when Eli heard the the noise of the cry, he said, What does the sound of this tumult mean? And the man came quickly and told Eli. Eli was 98 years old, and his eyes were so dim that he could not see. And then the man, verse 16, said to Eli, I am he who came from the battle, and I fled today from the battle line. And he said, Well, what happened, my son? So the messenger answered and said, Israel has fled before the Philistines, and there has been a great slaughter among the people. And also your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead, and the ark of God has been taken, has been captured. It's interesting, we, we know in other places in the Word of God, Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 12, that Shiloh was ultimately going to be destroyed by the Philistines. There's not much mention in the Bible concerning it. There's a couple places. Here's one of them in Jeremiah 7, verse 12. It says, when God is speaking to um, Jeremiah, he says, But go now to my place, which was in Shiloh, where I set my name at the first, and see what I did to it because of the wickedness of my people Israel. He allowed the enemies of Israel to totally destroy Shiloh. And in Jeremiah 26, verse 4, it says, God is speaking out of the cities of Judah, and he says, If you will not listen to me, to walk in my law which I have set before you, to heed the words of my servants, the prophets, whom I sent to you, both rising up early and sending them out, but you have not heeded, then I will cause, or then I will make this house like Shiloh, 
So here he's setting a comparison. He says, I'm going to do to this, these places just like I did in Shiloh and will make this city a curse to all the nations of the earth. Speaking of Jerusalem, he's going to make it just like Shiloh that the Philistines destroyed. And notice verse 18, then it happened. When he had made mention of the ark of God, notice it wasn't his two sons. When he heard about his two sons dying, any father would naturally be brokenhearted about that. But, you know, I think in Eli's heart, he's like, you know what, they had it coming, and the Lord told me it was going to happen. Then it happened when he made mention of the ark of God. When that happened, huh, that Eli fell off the seat backward by the side of the gate, and his neck was broken, and he died. For the man was old and heavy, and he had judged Israel forty years. It said, now his daughter-in-law, Phinehas's wife. So Hophni and Phinehas had wives, and they had, and uh, Phinehas's uh, wife was pregnant. She was due to be delivered, it says. And when she heard the news that the ark was captured, and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, can you imagine this, ladies? You're, you know, in this in this culture, the men were everything. They were the, you know, they were held in high esteem, and they're the providers of the home. You know, these ladies didn't go to college and didn't have a degree and didn't have any, you know, way to make a living for themselves. They had to work really hard now if they lost a husband or an old, you know, their firstborn son. They had a lot of work to do. But notice, when she heard the news that the ark was captured, that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she bowed herself and she gave birth for her pains came upon her. And about the time of her death, the woman who stood by her said to her, Do not fear, for you have borne a son. But she did not answer, nor did she regard it. So she passes away during childbirth, being so distraught and and on the verge, you know, and hearing this horrible news. Thank God she was about to be delivered because who knows, sometimes a grief of a woman can cause even a child to miscarry. If there's a lot of grief, that, that those things can happen. But she did not answer, nor did she regard it, and she died. But then she named the child Ichabod, saying, The glory has departed from Israel because the ark of God had been captured and because of her father-in-law and her husband. That's exactly what that word means, Ichabod. She named him after what had happened in Israel, this horrible event, the ark being taken. It means no glory or inglorious. The glory has departed. And they don't have the benefit of history like you and I did. At that time, they thought to themselves, Okay, the enemy of our enemy has taken our the thing that's most precious to us. And what are they going to do to it? Most enemies would take the box, break it up, smash it up, put it in the fire. They had no idea that God was in control of the Philistines. In fact, we're going to look at next week when, when it goes to these different towns of the Philistines that God really judges them. And the ark of God becomes like a hot potato. And it's kind of interesting that it just kind of goes around to all these different cities and just wipes them right out. God just brings heavy judgments in there. And I don't mean to laugh about this because, you know, it's horrible, the things they went through. But it's just, it's, it's kind of interesting how the Lord says, and the judgment of God was really heavy in that town. You know, it was like, like he just really poured it on for their stealing of the ark. But no glory the glory had departed because the ark of God had been captured. And it's amazing, isn't it? 
now, now these, these uh, prophecies begin to come to pass. The ark of God is captured. And next week when we look at chapter 5, and, and really chapters 4 through chapter 7 really outline for us the, the movement of the ark of the covenant. And it's really a fascinating thing. I'll show you a map next week of the travels this thing went. And it was uh, spent seven years with the Philistines and then around 20 years in the house of Abinadab. So the children of Israel have been without the ark for you know, 20, 20 years and seven months at least. Until David. So it's sitting there in the house of Abinadab there in, um, in Beth Shemesh. And it's sitting there. Meanwhile, Saul comes to power. Then David is anointed king. And it was David who decided, I want to bring that ark from Abinadab. It should be here with us. It should be in the center of Jerusalem. And you recall what happened because of the story, because of what had happened with them bringing the, the Philistines, putting that ark on a cart pulled by oxen. They thought how convenient that would be to bring it from Abinadab's house. Just put it on a cart. It's convenient. And then men die as a result of that. And then David was afraid of the Lord, it says. And then he goes and he searches the scriptures. He talks to the, to the Levites and he says, you guys should have taken it. Prepare yourself and let's do it the right way. And so he does. And what a great thing it was when they finally bring the ark. You know, the, the Levites grab that, those poles and they stick them on their shoulders. And the other guys, you know, there's four of them. And they're carrying that thing and they're doing it the right way. And David is there dancing before the ark. You know, I would have loved, I, I just, when I get to glory, I just want to, Say, Lord, can we just rewind the tape? Can we just scrub that video backwards to about that time? I want to see David. I want to see him dancing before the Lord. He didn't even have a shirt on. He just had his, you know, uh, something. He had something on his, you know, lower parts. But he was just so enthralled, so excited. And, you know, there's something about that that's really challenging, isn't it? To worship the Lord with that abandonment. Something that's kind of missing today. I would encourage you to let your heart get kind of challenged by that. You know, we don't have to be so stoic when we worship. If it's genuine, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with being excited about Jesus. In fact, I think it's the greatest thing in the world. People in stadiums will, you know, obviously there's order. We have to have order. But you know what? We ought to loosen up a little bit. People in stadiums are rooting for their team. They got paint all over their face and they're, they got beer and they're just screaming. They're hoarse the next day. They go into work and they can't even talk. They're tired. They're hungover. Not that we should drink, of course, but they're, they're, they're just, they've, they're, they spent themselves the night before. And yet the God of Israel, the God of all creation, our Savior, and again, not to make anybody feel awkward tonight, but just think about that. Think about your worship of the Lord. Let it be free. You know, don't worry. If it gets really out of hand, we'll, we'll talk about it. But you know what? I don't think we have to worry about that. You know, if you want to raise your hand and sing with all your might, you do it. Because chances are you'll encourage somebody next to you thinking, I should be doing that too. After all, what, what has God done in my life? You know, we need to lighten up. 
You know, worshiping of God is not a mausoleum. I want to give it to him. He deserves it. He deserves our worship. Amen? Amen. Be encouraged by this. And, and it's just wonderful to see how gracious God is with his people. He's always been gracious. But let your heart be challenged in worship too. Sound good? Let's pray. Let's stand. Father, we thank you for tonight. And Lord, as we consider the lives of Hophni and Phinehas and them just going through the motions, Lord, just a dead worship, Father, I pray that you would stir within the church here at Calvary Chapel, Lord. Help us not to worry too much, Lord. I I doubt that we would have to reel things back in, God. But help us not to be inhibited, Lord, to be real. And Lord, I pray that you would stir within us again a a real joy, a real exuberance, a a real, real, something real, not anything phony, God. We we, we can't make anything happen. We don't want to make anything happen. We just want to be genuine. We want you to set us free. If there's there's real joy in our heart, Lord, help help us to show that. Wherever we're at, whether we're in our car, uh, wherever we're at, Lord, help us to show that joy, express that wonderful sense of forgiveness. Lord, the sense that you're coming soon for us, and Lord, how we can't wait to see you face to face. Lord, we pray that you do the work in us. Revive us again, God. Help us to be aware of our own sin. Help us to be quick to come to you with it. And help us to crawl up in your lap, so to speak, Lord. And just have you speak those words of love to us, Lord. To not be inhibited any longer by anything, Lord. Help us just to be ourselves in your presence. To be like kids again. Lord, would you give us that childlikeness again. And Lord, the older we are, the less likely we're going to want to do that. But Lord, help us to be genuine before you. Especially privately, God, when we can, when nobody's looking, Lord, may we be like David, who could close the curtains if we have to, and dance before all, all of you with our might, Lord, to to worship you. And even when we get together, Lord, inspire us, encourage us, Lord, not in some kind of falseness ever, God, but just genuine, genuine thanksgiving. And Lord, as we come upon Thanksgiving in November, God, may this be the best Thanksgiving we've ever experienced in our history of our country. Lord, we've had a very tough year. And Lord, I don't know, I can probably speak for all of us, Lord. We're broken. We're frustrated. We're even a little bit angry. And we're hurt, God. Would you show up and pour out your Spirit upon us? Fill this place again with your spirit, God. Fill our hearts with a sense of gratitude, with a sense of worship, God. Would you restore to the men and the fellowship, Lord, that, that willingness to be the heads of their homes, Lord, to, be, to not settle for anything less. God, to be warriors. To be men of God. Would you do that work in us, Lord? Help us, Jesus Christ. We are desperate for you. We need you more than ever. Please shine upon your church, God. Not just here at Calvary, but all the churches in the area, God. Shine upon us again. Forgive us for all the sins that we've committed. Lord, as we come upon an election, Lord, we know that we deserve nothing. We deserve nothing but God in your grace. Would you please shine upon this land again?
restore, renew us, revive us. Lord, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 1 Samuel. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.